degree in science education. Aaron Rai is known as one of the YouTube atheists and now has over 80,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel, which is dedicated to combating creationism and other forms of politicized religious extremism. I'm personally a little bit disappointed that upon knowing that Aaron was speaking today, I would have no shot at the speaker with the longest hair. But that's all right, because I'm excited about what he's going to say for us now. Please welcome Aaron Rock. Yeah. 
pieces together a potion and chance it. And the spell requires God's direct involvement, and so that also means that God has to condone the abortion, yet in fact will not work without his assistance. And in this spell, it is that if she was cheating on him, then, depending on your translation, either her thigh will rot, or in some other translations that are more appropriate, it says the womb will discharge and she will be barren. And that if she was faithful, then she can continue to have children. And the implication is that if she was pregnant when she showed up, and the child were not the father's, that is an abortion in God. Examples where you could argue something similar to that, but it's not literally or exactly an abortion, except in this one passage. So, why do people believe in the Bible? And why do they teach the Bible? What I usually hear is things about family values. Except that anybody who's read the Bible comes across the family values of killing disobedient children. And we've had people in the GOP make public announcements in the last year or so that it would be a good idea to make it legal to kill disobedient children to set an example. As if the states that have the highest death rate or that have the death penalty don't also have the highest rates of violent crime. So obviously using the death penalty as a deterrent isn't working, especially if it's a religious state and you don't think that death is permanent. What kind of a punishment could that be? Family values where you can sell your daughter into slavery or where you have to kill her if she was raped in the city and didn't cry out. These are not family values. These are not wisdom. These are not the words of a superior being. Why are people teaching it as though they were? And how about, let's see, morality? Nowhere does the Bible discourage slavery, neither in the Old Testament nor the New Testament. You would think that when this country was founded, I had to wonder why is it that they didn't end right at the very beginning? And discourage slavery. Why didn't they take, why didn't they make that one revolutionary move right at the very onset? And I have to wonder the same thing about this unchanging superior supreme being that there was a condonement of slavery from the beginning, and it maintains through the New Testament where Jesus himself tells the slaves that they have to obey. Okay, so why do people believe the Bible? How about all those fulfilled prophecies? None of which anyone's been able to present to me. There's, well, there's lots of them. We just can't show you one unless you want to look at Okay, how about the one where Isaiah said that the, 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 the child, that a woman would give birth to a virgin and, you know, kill him, uh, Ishmael or whatever. I, that wasn't the name, but they didn't call him Jesus. And this was supposed to be a prophecy leading to Jesus, except when you read the passage in question. They're not talking about Jesus. They're talking about how this event, this king will have this, this fall or he will meet his enemies by this time. A woman will have a child out of wedlock or by this time and by him. That's the headline for the event. Centuries before the birth of Jesus. It's amazing how you have to distort that prophecy in order to make it work. And then Isaiah ends up impregnating the woman in question himself just to make sure that the prophecy 
Six years old. 
by some uh, in humiliating ways in front of the rest of the family, which he gathered around to watch. And the reason he did this was to deprive them of their pride, because having pride meant that you could be obstinate, that you could stand up to authority, that you might rely on your own judgment over the judgment of somebody else, that maybe you had the bravado or the guts or the integrity to follow your own decisions. But if you had no pride at all, then you would be willing to serve another master. Now, to me, uh, if you have no pride, that means two other things that you lack. You have neither honor nor shame, because they're interrelated. And of course, if you have no honor, you will serve the other master. If you have no shame, you will do shameless acts without apology, without compunction. Now, my family religious, but they didn't read the Bible, they didn't read the part where their own theology argued against pride for the same reason that Manson argued against pride. Now, obviously religious people can be very proud. Manson himself thought he was Jesus freaking Christ, right? But it's all in the method of manipulation. That's why they want to relieve pride. They want people to be mindless minions. My family was not aware of that. My family were very proud, and I remember once at about this age, my father told me uh, something that resonated with me uh, in a particular way when he told me that a man's word is his honor. And that's, uh, that's a carryover from the old Western mythos. Uh, and this was common at the time when I was six years old, everything was cowboy movies and so on. That became part of the template of the man that I wanted to become. This is, somebody that, this is not like uh, some other traditions with you, Honor. We're not talking about a situation where you might have to kill someone, even a family member, because they brought shame onto your own house. We're not talking about your family. We're not talking about what demographic you belong to and therefore believe that you may represent. This concerns only your own personal integrity. It is not possible to be dishonored except on your own accord. The worst anyone else can do is to question the value of your word, implying that you are not honest. And since that is a, uh, a very serious charge, it shouldn't be done lightly. Uh, you should be able to prove that someone is wrong, but that's not enough. Uh, it's, it's easy to be wrong. All of us are wrong. And sometimes simply being mistaken is not the same thing as lying. You also have to show that that person knew that they were wrong and that they misrepresented the facts with deliberate intent to deceive. And if you accuse someone of lying and it turns out they're not, that's kind of like when you call checkmate in a professional tournament game and it's not checkmate. Or when you sink the eight ball in a different hole than the one you called, you lose. Because false accusations will cost you your own credibility.
Listening to this episode of the Oral Rock Archives podcast. This podcast was made by the Very Good Podcast Network with the permission of Oral Rock. You can find more episodes of the Oral Rock Archives by visiting verygoodpodcast.com/slash To view this content in its original form, please visit Aron's YouTube channel at youtube.com/slash If you enjoy his work and would like to support Aron, please consider becoming a patron at www.patreon.com/slash